respect the crews and tame the cast. You can't tame this cast. This we are, cast we're is wild, wild and crazy. Go, <laughs> we are so wacky is the word I like to use. You can't tame the cruise cast itself. You can't tame the cast of the cruise cast. Nor can you tame the cast of this movie, Ben. What have we just seen? Magnolia, the 1999 film directed by Paul Thomas Anderson, not the man who directed the Resident Evil movies, the guy right. that did Boogie Nights. There will be blood. Yeah, that was the one. The master, punch drunk love. Yeah, I mean, we we talked. I think maybe not last episode, but a few episodes ago, about it was who is the director of the fern? Forget his name, Sidney Pollock. Uh, not that. Then not the director of the fern. There was somebody who had a really excellent run, and you said the people talk about. Oh, Rob Reiner. Mm. Rob Reiner. That was it. There's there's excellent runs, but there's also just directors that have amazing movies in their in their credits. And I think Paul Paul Thomas Anderson's one of them. He just yeah, he's capable of making a bad Paul Thomas Anderson movie, which is yeah. still better than probably about ninety three percent of any others. Per 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 per. Yeah, you with me? Yeah, yeah, perfect. Um, but never never going to beat Michael Bay. Okay, Ben, I'm going to do it. I'm going to try and go for the plot again oh, of Magnolia. I'm going to do it, but it's more of a summing up than it is a plot. I wouldn't dare try to say what the plot of this film is, and nor do I think we should. I agree. But this is what I've got. It's a movie. Good. It's a good start, isn't it? Yeah. So, At least I got that. It's a movie. It's a movie about nine people's lives who all realise that it's not going to stop until you wise up. It's not going to stop, so just give up. Okay. All right. That says it all. It says it all. Does it, though? Well, it doesn't, but there is a very poignant moment in the movie, spoilers, where our nine principles are all saying those words at a time in the stories that we're following where those words make perfect sense to each of them in each of right. their stories. So I think it sums right. up that moment in the journey for them. But that I don't moment, think it sums up the film. But, but those words sum up their moments in their journeys because of what we've all just watched. So of course, yeah. it's an accurate summary if you know what's happened. Ben, yeah, th- <clears throat> well, what happened to these nine characters? Right. Before before we get into any of that, yeah. look, I, th- I think if we try and tackle the film as a whole, we're going to be all over the place. We're going to get really unstuck. I, I agree, think we I need agree. as much as possible to focus on the Tom Cruise storyline and some of the surrounding elements. The reason that I'm saying yeah. that is because this is a, 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 a while geographically and in terms of the scope of the story, it's a small film. It's a very big film in terms of the number of characters, yeah, the themes, huge, yeah. and you could spend the whole length of an episode talking about any one of those nine principles that you're talking about. We are here to talk about Tom Cruise. I think there's definitely enough in his performance and his story to just focus on that. And I know you're going to talk about Luis Guzman. Yeah, of course. <laughs> Isn't he the most important guy in the film? Luis Guzman, he appeared in the Arnithology. <laughs> Using it already. <laughs> on, on The Last Stand, right? Uh, so we got one Arnithology link. The, the very interesting thing about this movie is that I, I get what you're saying. And you've got 
half a vote from me to let's say let's do it that way but let's not contain it too much because there's there's an organicness to what this this film is about but also yeah. the amount of <laughs> i don't I mean, know about yeah we have to the, talk about the there's cast. so many yeah the, the cast is fantastic and also overlap and this film right is about synchronicity I think yeah, and it's there is a lot of synchronicity in this. There's a lot of films that have yeah. tried this kind of thing. Yeah, that I think Magnolia then. was compared to when it came out. I think since subsequent films have been compared to Magnolia because it does it so incredibly well. Yeah, and it's about in a disconnected, very often Los Angeles uh, community. <laughs> yeah, exactly. People's lives colliding, coincidence. And yeah. while this film is about coincidence, at the same time, I think it's saying there's no such thing as coincidence. Yeah, the narrator says that as well. Uh, you know, it's it's a fact of, you know, human psychology and, and neuroscience that we look for patterns. We, we look for patterns in things. And it's been said many times that it's only a function of our perception that we see connection and, li- and links in things. It's, you know, there are connections and links that we couldn't possibly perceive because the world is so enormously complex and then and and at the same time there is randomness and whatever so but it's so enormous and i think that's the one of the points the film's trying to make it's saying yeah, yeah this is these are wonderful the reason why those stories that we get at the beginning with the narrator hmm. are so fantastic is because we're like oh my god that could never happen but it it could and it does and the film makes the point to say many times those yeah. things that you think that could never happen happen they they do and they have, but also they're no more important than any of the seeming random acts that you see going on. Yeah. And there's lots of supporting evidence there. But nevertheless, we're still intertwined, even though there may not be any real significance to the coincidences that we yeah, notice. And, and yeah, and it's another thing that I think the film uh, tackles slightly more subtly is yeah. taking responsibility and saying, if you don't want to just attribute these terrible things to bad luck and the good things to oh there's a plan right then take some responsibility for your actions and that's, that's what john really c Riley's character yeah is, that, but is that you've put about. that really well and i i think what you've just said is a is a point that's hard to tease out from the movie i think a lot of people come away from this film just saying god that was awful that was yeah. an onslaught and Depressing. it is a bit of an yeah. onslaught right it's yeah. three hours i even wrote a note myself at one and a half hours saying okay i've just seen one movie do I take a break? Do I carry it out? Do I carry it? I did. I carried on. I didn't. I didn't stop at all. There are some. There are clear acts in it that mm-hmm. you can you can outline, but but also not. The threads don't all weave together in the way that you think they will. And some wrap up, and some don't. Yeah, I think there are a couple that he kind of just drops. So that brings me end. on to the other point that I, if I was not going to try and be funny about my plot, this film is is. Really doing well, I think, and trying to do, again, what you've said other films do, but more than just that kind of let's weave lots of stories together, that thing. It's also like life's kind of like this. It's not like we see in most films. Most films are are good and successful and people, lots of people see them and they stay with people for a long time because they relate to very personal stories. And so you can say, yeah, life's like that. What What people really mean is my life's like that. Or I know that that happens. Yeah. And what's so wonderful about one of the characters, I forget his name, Stanley, is it the kid? Is yeah, Stanley Spector. He, he says it, and it's it's quite nice to have 
just to have the right character to say it, say it. Sound ye oldie spoiler klaxon? He says when he sees all the frogs raining and he's looking out in wonderment at the sky and saying, this happens. This is something that happens. Yeah. It's making that point. It's saying life's like, life's actually more like this than it is how we normally experience it and see it. And the interesting thing is that all the characters, they're not seeing it the way that we're seeing it as the audience. They're seeing it how we normally see it, which is focused on our individual stories. Without trying to like contain the conversation, the reason I'm trying to curtail going into every little aspect of the film is because there is so much. And I, and I genuinely, my personal experience of the film has changed over the years mm. because my life experience has changed. Yeah, right. My appreciation of it has never wavered, mm. but I found myself identifying with different characters as I've got older. Yeah, that's interesting. And when I was young, I really identified with Tom Cruise, the hateful, really? angry really? man. Wow. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, right. wow. And, and I found uh, Julianne Moore's performance overwrought, over-the-top yeah. uh, distancing. I, this time I saw it, almost every single scene that she's in, I broke down crying because wow. I identified with her. So It's such an amazing performance, that. And, yeah. and so the point that I wanted to make about that is that I think the film, the film's narrative is about these characters handling trauma in different ways mm. some of them are trying to run away from their responsibility mm. in in creating trauma in other people's lives others are trying to find people to blame for how fucked up they are yeah. and very very few are actually trying to help other people yeah and say it's okay it's okay but you have to communicate with me yes yeah, so you've got john c Riley, and of course the great the wonderful probably the greatest actor of all time philip seymour hoffman I mean, that's a big statement, but yeah, I mean, me, he, he's... Isn't he great? Such a beautiful performance that he yeah. gives in this film. It, it's it's so gentle, yeah. it's so wonderful, and it's so vulnerable, you know? Yeah. I, I haven't known him to do a, a bad job. He, he plays the role, whatever the role he's been assigned to do, he does it exactly how it's supposed to be and more and better. He's he's a gift, you know, to any, any director, I'm sure. I have no idea, obviously, what he's like to work with, but... I'm just making the assumption that he's a gift to any director. If you get for him, sure, yeah, yeah, you, you get him to play a part. And I don't know how. I don't wouldn't ever say that his range is limited. Well, no, and he, you could just look at the films that he's done with Paul Thomas Anderson. You look at how different Phil, his character in this, is yeah. to the character he played in Boogie Nights. Yeah, and then the piece of shit that he plays in Punch Drunk Love, <laughs> yeah, yeah. and then finally the Master in The Master, which right. is a phenomenal performance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's barely the same actor, you know. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I, one of the greatest actors of all time, you definitely, know, for sure. Yeah. Definitely. And the top uh, but, two. But the, the thing is, two. Alex, when you said the greatest actor or one of the greatest actors of all time, there are nine, ten names that you could have picked out from this cast, right? That's the thing about this movie, and this is why I, I totally get your point about containing our discussion. Yeah. We should, and it's hard because of that. Because of it's so fantastic. I mean, I'm, I've actually had to introduce a segment called <laughs> Cruisinicity. Uh, okay. Just because, because of this film. Characters, mm. like yeah. actors that have popped up in other... Oh my God, it's so many. Yeah. Well, you've but mentioned not... two of them, Riley yeah, and Hoffman. We're going to keep... I'll go into it. I'll do my little Cruisinicity 
thing. Okay. I want a jingle for it. Um, the thing, the thing that I have not ever had an answer to, which I think you do know, and I think you've actually told me once, but I've forgotten. Why is this film called Magnolia? Okay. There is no definitive answer, actually. Ah. Um, the truth is... Why doesn't Tom Cruise say the title of the film? Because that's the best. <laughs> yeah. When they yeah. say the title of the film in the film. Yeah, yeah. Paul Thomas Anderson was presented by Michael DeLuca, the then head of New Line Cinema, when Boogie Nights came out, with an offer oh, right. that very few directors have ever been given, which is, whatever you want to make next, <laughs> whatever it costs, yeah. I want to make it with you, and I will give you final cut. And this Jesus. is before Paul Thomas Anderson had written a word of a script. And all he had in his mind was the name Magnolia. Oh, right, and okay. what he actually wanted to do was pull in these people that he considered his friends and his co-workers, right, people like right. Julianne Moore and mm. uh, John C. Riley and mm. Philip Seymour Hoffman and Philip Baker Hall mm. and make a very small film that he could do in 30 days just to get it out of his system, just to get another film done before the expectation of Boogie Nights became too big. He pulled like little side projects that he'd been working on into this script that he right. had the name Magnolia for. But then he started researching the Magnolia tree right. and discovered that it has properties that have been used to try and treat cancer. So right. this thing about okay. different petals of a plant all going out to different places, yeah. but all essentially feeding from the one central place and it having curative properties. Okay. Uh, but also, is that so it sham? Just, is it, not... it sent him on that journey, that connectedness, exactly. synchronicity yeah. journey. So, and he wrote a script that talked about that. I mean, that connectedness, synchronicity thing, the reason why it pops up, and the reason why people try and do it is because when you come across it, and you and I came across the ideas, those ideas at uni when we mm -hmm. first saw this film, it becomes like um, an inspired uh, thing. You need to go on it. You need to go on that journey to find out about it. But I think that inevitably you come back to the realization that this film comes to, which is that, yeah, it's all connected, but also not necessarily does it have any meaning either. It it does and it doesn't, and it's meanings what you make of it and all that sort of stuff. Sorry, spoilers for life lessons for anybody, but that's <laughs> but, pretty much what we what you come to, right? And I think the thing that we both came up against, or, you know, in our own ways when we were mm. talking about the connectedness of, of the whole universe, not just lives... It's a fool's errand if you think that you can control any part of it. You can control <laughs> your yeah. part of it, and that's, that's it. That's the thing. Yeah, and that's when that's the the hubris of the the an individual mindset that I think the film's trying to challenge. And I think that's why my point about saying, well, we like movies because they just focus on one central character and we follow that story. We get engrossed in that story, and it's an easier watch. This is a tough watch because there are nine stories for you to try and care about, and just like you said different moments in your life when you are a different person you care about a different person in this movie mm. the point of the film is saying no one in this movie is any more special than anybody else they've all got a, a similar set of shit to deal with that shit isn't necessarily specific to their circumstances but it's just the fact that they're alive and shit happens that kid's saying that line i mean it's such a subtle little thing but i do i do have to mention it because it's a, a subject that's in, in important there's an inference that one of the characters, John C. Riley's love interest in this, uh, I can't remember the character's name. Claudia. She's she's heartbreaking as well. Yeah. Their their relationship's heartbreaking, that whatever's going on to him is great. There's an inference that her father molested her when she was younger. Yeah. We don't really know. He doesn't even know because he's obviously um, a drunk 
he he's not sure but even years of having this idea in his head he doesn't know whether he did it or not and he's dying of cancer as well he's so dying he's, of cancer so he's, he's trying to confess stuff right yeah. and he's not sure in a crescendo moment uh his her mother comes around and the camera pans up to what's clearly a painting that she did it looks like a art therapy painting right, right. That's what it looks like. Yeah, I, I don't. Yeah. Not many people have seen it, but it, it, it and it focuses in on a very tiny portion of the painting where there's words that have been cut out from a newspaper. It says, "But it did happen." Yeah, and I think that's the the film just telling us, "Yeah, she was molested as a child." Like it's not, or she really believes she was, or it doesn't matter actually. And so this is the thing: is that that ambiguity as well is the film's directly speaking to the uncertainty that you were talking about, to mm. saying, you know what? Yes, it's attempting to try and control it when you when there's this connectedness but trying to control it's part of the problem that all of these people are facing sort of in a way we get to see these characters blindly leading lives and we know all the other stuff that's going on around them that they couldn't possibly be in control of yeah it's a fascinating film to watch but i don't think i can do it very soon again i haven't seen it since we saw it at uni and whatever it was 2000 or something yeah i think it's a good one uh to to revisit every few years like um, 10 years for me but i have to say i did watch it several times uh when it first came out and i've watched right. it twice in the last year jesus the filmmaking on display is so incredible the yeah. writing is you know frustrating and brilliant at the same yeah. time and the and it never great it never great fails to to absolutely ruined me emotionally yeah. and then finally yeah. after that cut to black and the the most happy piece of music in the whole film starts playing mm. you breathe and you're relieved mm. and hope returns and it's an amazing feeling when that happens yeah that that can still do that when i've seen it 10 times let's say yeah. i'd say if this film doesn't make you feel strong feelings you may possibly be dead even if it's just revulsion, I I know many That's people what I mean. who, who That's why pull away from feelings. it completely yeah. and say, this is not yeah. entertainment. Yeah, yeah. No, it's not entertainment, but it is not actually really, a yeah. film that could change your life. This is a film that definitely influences my thoughts and feelings about life. Fantastic score, yes. fantastic, fantastic photography. The dialogue in this, I, I talked about how good Aaron Sorkin is at writing dialogue. Yeah. Um, it's a different level. It's a very different style, yeah. But but quality and and wise um on the same excellence of the same excellence the same caliber yeah aaron sorkin is an incredible technical writer yeah and he's phenomenal with dialogue but what paul thomas anderson is better at doing is is looking for a way of conveying idea along the path less traveled finding something that doesn't quite fit right and it forces you to examine it because what he is is one of those filmmakers who has an innate sense of the human condition he understands yeah. people and what drives people's emotions to yeah. ugly and beautiful places yeah and his manner of conveying that is miraculous i think <laughs> miraculous is a really strong word it's not inappropriate given this movie i think there's there's definitely something magical uh, about it there's something intuitive about what he puts into a scene but also it's also it's a writer director remember that right so an auteur yeah yeah so he's getting the performances that he wants out of the actors and he, you can see on screen the actors are performing what they're feeling I, i'm gonna go out there and say this is john c Riley's best performance uh, okay ever right um second perhaps to stepbrothers i that was a fantastic movie <laughs> mate don't 
bring on the ire of the stepbrothers fans. They are rabid. If they sense a whiff of sarcasm, they're going to come after you with I love stepbrothers. That's, that's what fine. I'm saying. That's fine. I'm I think just, stepbrothers I just, amazing. You need to clarify that is all no, I'm no, saying. I'm, yeah, yeah. I, as yeah. soon as John C. Riley came on screen, I was like, I'm watching Step Brothers after this. <laughs> okay. All right. I love I love Step Brothers. It's one of my favorite movies. Uh, John C. Riley's great in this. And the thing, the, the note I wrote about uh, his performance is that I believe it. So everybody's performance, I believe them, with the exception of Tom Cruise, most of his performance. Okay. Hang on. And Julianne Moore, most of her performance. Okay. Right. There were several times when Julianne was losing it. Mm. Right. And I think, oh, damn, she's a little bit out of place in this because I don't believe that she's losing it. There was one moment where you can see she's almost about to laugh when she's losing it with her lawyer or her lawyer friend who she's asking for advice. Shut the fuck up. Yeah, that, that bit, that bit. <laughs> and I'm laughing as well. And I'm thinking... That must have been a difficult and funny scene to play, to just interrupt and say, shut the fuck up. But then I realised something else. And this is why I say Julianne Moore and Tom Cruise, there's a similarity in their performance, is that they are at their, their characters are also both acting. Massively in denial, both of them. Y- yeah, and they kind of know it. And Julianne Moore kind of knows it. And she's this whole yeah. facade of aggressiveness and whatever. The reason why it looks like crocodile tears, it's appropriate that she's not actually crying. She's just doing that thing where you screw up your face and you do that. And she's not actually upset. Okay. But it's, so it works, is what I'm trying to say. That yeah, she, fine. I, I don't know that I 100% agree with you, but... Yeah. I'm making excuses. There's maybe, so there. much yeah. in that scene that I can't, I can't put into words. I don't really fully <laughs> understand why... Julianne Moore just just hurts me to watch her in this film so much. But in that scene, she realizes before I think I do that the guy's going to tell her you need to sober up. Yeah, and she can't handle it. And it, I just, it is, it, it, I, I hated that scene when I first saw it because of the histrionics. Because exactly what you said, I don't believe you. But her character is putting on a performance. You're right. And when you realize that and you realize that she's not only carrying around this guilt, she's also massively medicated. She realizes that everybody looks at her and sees what she used to be. And she's not that person anymore. Like she did marry the rich guy to get his money, but now she actually loves him. Right, even if it's not a romantic love, it's a genuine, compassionate love. Well, it's, funny enough, it's... she used to be Claudia, the character that Claudia is. Claudia is a drug addict, and she wants something that she doesn't have from a man. In Julianne Moore's case, it was money and security. From from in Claudia's case, it's security. She sees John C. Riley as a safe guy that she can get something from that she doesn't have. She's, she doesn't have that stability. Well, it's just care, yeah, care, and yeah. But I think. The reason that I've changed my opinion about that performance over the years is I've had my own struggles with addiction. I've had my own struggles with anxiety and and stress uh, and also experienced the loss of loved ones to cancer, yeah. both my own age and, and within my family. And, and there is something in that performance that taps into all of that stuff in what is not a massive amount of screen time. And that balancing act that she's doing between melodrama and like real human emotion is really phenomenal, isn't it? Exactly. And that's the point I'm making is that it's surprising to see actors who you know are capable of real human emotion and giving you a performance like that show you 
through their characters acting yeah. that they're not doing that. So we've talked about it before, how some people think that Tom Cruise isn't a good actor. We definitely understood it w- with Arnie and we, we fought, we had to fight his corner a little bit. I don't need to fight Tom Cruise's corner. His just show, just show him this. Yeah. It, and so you see him doing the thing that we all think Tom Cruise is doing most of the movie. Then he goes on a break. So Tom Cruise, most of the movie is what doing some kind of a self-help guru, how to, how yeah. to attract women. He's a snake oil salesman, basically, because yeah. what he's trying to sell is control, right? Yeah, so, yeah, right. So, and that's he's, the he, irony. Equal yeah. parts Tony Robbins and Chris Angel, right? There you go. That's a kind of <laughs> Chris Angel. <laughs> not, not quite, but yeah. But, but no, uh, but a not, showman. Yeah, I get it. I get, a, a, I get a walking it. erection, right? Yeah, yeah. Saying, just buy my stuff. You can be yeah. me. Look at me. Just yeah. fucking look at me, man. yeah, yeah. yeah. And so, I mean, that's the only real thing that he he's got going. He does have looks, you know. He's got this. He's got he's a look. So fucking hot in this film. <laughs> <laughs> Do you not think? Well, no, not really. I I much uh, prefer him in um, uh, Interview with the Vampire. No jokes. Okay. <laughs> I don't. I don't. I don't know if Tom Cruise is attractive in this movie or not. I'm not. I, I don't. I don't know about that. What I'm trying to say is that most of the time he's on screen, he's playing this character, and he's doing it really well. But you also kind of think that's not hard for Tom Cruise to do. That's kind of who he is. He's to kind of extent, that. Yeah. That dude. And we talked about it. He plays that douchebag really well, right? So before you move on, though, the first thing I have to say, he gets not one but two great entrances in this because yeah. you get his infomercial that opens the movie. Yes. Which is the pure. Yes, I'm Tom Cruise in smarm mode. Yeah. So first of all, he's lampooning what people say he yeah. is. Which I yeah, love. Yeah. But then that massive showman entrance of, you yeah. know, the way he's bulked him, he's, he's got standing, his fists, yeah. But yeah, and the spotlight. And yeah. and it, the thing is that the, the great thing about it is it's not a cartoon. He is still absolutely mesmerizing as that guy. Yeah. Yeah. You want to follow him, you want to buy his book. Yeah, he's playing it. And so, but then he does exactly what we were just saying Julianne Moore's, Julianne Moore as an actress does but her character does too, is that there's a performance of sorts that she's going through. He's going through clearly a performance, not even yeah. subtle. Yeah, yeah. But then he's being interviewed and the interviewer pushes him a little bit. But then he comes back on stage. Hmm. And this is fantastic. This is this is one of those acting things that we talk about, well, not, not often enough probably, when, like you said it once, I think it was with Bill Paxton, like yeah. acting like you haven't heard someone say something yeah. or something and then but acting like you're acting yeah that's like jesus jason alexander needs to get in on this <laughs> yeah and tom cruise what he does i think is one of the best versions i've ever seen of this he acts that scene with such an input such a nuance except for when he flips over the table in anger or whatever you know because he got the wrong booklet. He got the blue book instead of the white book. He told his audience to look at your blue book. But that's not really what he's pissed off about, is it? No, and of course it isn't. But that's the whole point. <laughs> yeah. That's the whole point is that he's able to convince me in his performance that he's just been through the things he's been through. That interviewer, I'm digging into his past and finding out truths about him that he thought were long gone or dead mm-hmm. and buried. Literally dead and buried. And the second thing is then he finds out his father, his real father is dying. The father that he says is dead. Right. And then he gets on stage and he says the exact same thing that somebody in that position, having heard those things in denial, would say, which is 
some kind of psychoanalysis of me where my mother, you know, didn't let me play football. My dad used to hit yeah. me, yeah. whatever, turns yeah. me into this guy. Bullshit. You know, and his audience go, yeah, yeah. They're, they're trying to cheer him along. And they're like, what the hell's up with this guy? Is he okay? You know? And so, but there's a nuance in that performance that is just, that is acting. That is, that is telling us everything that you know and you've learned up to this moment about this character. It's still here and it's, it's going to, we're going to show yeah. it to you in this moment in the way he's acting. That is fantastic work. There's so much transformative. And good direction, obviously. Yeah. Oh, forget about it. Yeah. But his whole performance is watching someone transform, like minute to minute, mm. going backwards and forwards on what you believe. And so, if we haven't made it clear, he's he's basically he's selling a, a, a version of neuro linguistic programming that allows you to have sex with any woman who's trying to friend yeah. you. you. Doesn't yeah. matter whether you're ugly, fat, poor, whatever. He's yeah. going to teach you tricks to do this, right? Yeah. Then. He goes and gives an interview where he thinks he's just going to do a puff piece and sell the Frank T.J. Mackey Seduce and Destroy program. Seduce and Destroy. No Pussy Has Nine Lives is the tagline. It's terrible. Um, so terrible. Based on a real guy, by the way. But the one thing that he can't handle is being constructively and gently, politely challenged by a smart woman. She's yeah. very good. She's yeah, yeah. very good. No, no, she's, right? good. Yeah, she's good. So then he can't do it anymore. He can't come out and do the bullshit, right? Yeah. But it goes beyond that. Because I think actually, as much as you see him trying to lie and not being able to anymore, he then actually talks himself through it. Because he says, his like mantra, I will not apologize for who I am. Yeah. I will not apologize for what I need. And I will not apologize for what I want. Right. And it's you see that's it all on stage, him. right? He yeah, says all that yeah. On he's stage, saying yeah. that to his seminar. Yeah, it's but reminding it's him. It's desperate. I, I, yeah. I think it's deeper than that. I think it's reminding him that his anger, although it's misdirected, is actually just. His father was a piece of shit who bailed on his dying mother, right? Right. And so his anger springs from the same lack of compassion that he is actually now trying to sell. That's accurate. Yeah. And so we come back to, you know, there are no coincidences. Mm. And the next thing that he goes into is how to fake like you are a nice and caring person. Yeah, yeah, it's brilliant. Um, and then what do we cut to? We cut to somebody faking like they're a nice and caring person, don't we? There's so much of that. And that's why the editing's brilliant in this. Cruisinicities. We're all, like, connected, man. Did you spot in this? It's also a bit of no notable appearances as well. Two notable appearances in this that you know that I would have plots about well there's agent coulson agent coulson's in this clark Gregg, yeah from agents of shield he's who like else a, he's like a floor manager uh louise guzman yeah Patton oswald Patton oswald yeah Patton the, oswald is the, the scuba open. diver right they're both in agents of shield okay fine there's also um another end of days connection because oh yeah go on well Tom Cruise was offered the role of Jericho Kane in End of Days. It just keeps getting better. And turned I didn't it, know that. Turned it down to do Magnolia, which is a hell of a good movie. But wait, who was in End of Days? Miriam Margolis, who's also in the prologue to this. And she did both films that year. It it gets even better. So Pan Oswald plays three characters in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Billy, Sam, and Thurston. Henry Gibson, the white-haired yeah. guy at the bar, right, who's who's... Um, trying to 
He's taunting Bill Macy all through the film. He's isn't he? taunting Bill Macy, but he's he's also attracted to the to yeah to Brad the barman yeah. to Brad the barman, who that's the character I most identify with, by the way. Brad, Brad yeah, Brad the barman. He's like <laughs> dumb jock. <laughs> Henry Gibson's character um, in this is called yeah. Thurston Howell. Julianne Moore, right, and John C. Riley were both in the Hours, who which also starred Meryl Streep, Nicole Kidman. Yeah, and Philip Seymour Hoffman's in Mission Impossible 3. No way! See? It just keeps... You see? Yeah. You just keep going. God, it's like actors don't just do one film. It's like yes. they like to work with people You're that my make point. good films. You're getting my point. That's what this has opened up. Tom Cruise returns to the Navy to be the Navy's best legal softball player and ends up winning his first court case. Having got the legal bug, he goes to Chicago to become a hotshot tax lawyer, where he exposes the firm. We then take a trip into the alternate universe to see what would have become of him if he'd been a vampire this whole time instead. Using all the skills that he's developed so far, he invents the alter ego Ethan Hunt to influence world events and affect real change in the world. He spends a couple of years becoming the world's best sports agent before losing it all, falling in love, and getting married. He leaves Bridget Jones, goes back to Nicole Kidman, has a weird odyssey, and stops believing in love. If you wish to make a movie star from scratch, you must first invent the Cruciverse. After his stint as Dr. Bill Harford in Eyes Wide Shut, our, our friend through time, Tom Cruise, was not able to resolve the chasm that had been created in the trust between him and his wife, Nicole Kidman. No, he couldn't. And she left him. And he became so Good bitter. Riddance. Good riddance is what he so said. So bitter that he yeah. was like, fuck love. I'm, I'm, look at me. I am fucking hot. I'm going to grow my hair. I'm going to lose some weight. I'm going to really fucking buff. Just gonna, so I can do Mission Impossible 2. I'm going to bone every single woman that ogles me, which is a while lot I'm, of women. A while lot of I'm women. doing Mission Impossible 2. Hang on. Don't jump ahead. All right. I'm just saying. And then he figures, well, I'm so good at this. I'm going to go and sell this. I'm going to seduce and destroy. I'm going to go and sell this. It's just a sideline. This, this is what I yeah. should have done after Risky Business. Exactly. Right? Exactly. However, unfortunately, over the course of doing Seduce and Destroy, he gets interviewed by this woman, Guinevere, who wants to delve she into his past. Him up. She messed him up. And he has been lying about having a dead father for so long, she unearths it. And in this film, we finally see that his father was never dead. But now, he's going to have to watch him die, and he's going to have to put this part of himself to bed. And that's what he does. We also see, over the course of this film, that he has uh, no fixed identity. He has yeah. he is referred to by different names within yeah. the course of this film. Frank, I know, and Jack. Jack, Jack's yeah. his real name. Oh, trust me, Jack. Like, there is some future Cruiserverse shit happening once, here. Once he realizes that the Jack part of him can be the strongest yeah. part, almost invincible, you could say. Yeah, he's going to build a, an incredible character out of that one. In doing the Cruiserverse, there we've mentioned a pivotal scene in this film. Not just for the Frank T.J. Mackie character, but for Tom Cruise as he travels through the Cruiseverse. She's not just discovering that his father is alive and dying, but he has to go and confront this as he goes to make peace with himself, really, but also tell his dying father, I fucking hate you. I hope you're yeah. in pain. He tried. To he does say watch that. him die. Now, it doesn't, doesn't really work, though. The change from Frank arriving at the door and telling Phil, I will drop kick those fucking dogs if they come near me. Yeah. 
to then seeing his father for the first time in yeah. what we're told is at least 10 years. And he just says, Earl, and then sits down. You don't look that bad. That transformative moment that's happening in his yeah. face. I think there is no actor that you could ask to do that that could do a better job. I'm not saying mm. there's no actor that couldn't could play Frank it. Mackey. Hang on. They what would, I'm saying yeah. is what Tom Cruise does in that scene, you could not ask any more from an actor. I don't Yeah, think. so to see somebody who's a douchebag break down like that. Not it, even you know, great, you know. not even before we even get yeah. to him breaking down. No, yeah. The way that he breathes, the way that his yeah. eyes fill with hate filled mm. tears though. Mm. He's having an emotional reaction that he's trying to control. It's great. Yeah, it's a really good it is a really good performance, you're right. And when he does finally break down, Cruz does something that I I think uh, goes beyond what Julianne Moore does because Cruz understands that it's much, much more powerful than simply crying Yeah, to show that you're using all of your strength to try and not cry. Yeah, that's hard to do. But then to make that happen, you have to be crying. You've like, got you to have, have, to have it in shit you to be going crying. on. Yeah, yeah, you have absolutely. to, yeah. It is when he puts his hands together and he's shaking. Yeah, yeah. And he's trying really and he says he even says, like, I'm not gonna fucking cry for you, you cocksucker, all of that. Yeah. It's so shatteringly powerful, I think. Yeah. And I've said it in an earlier episode, I'm gonna throw it out to you now and see whether you agree or not. I suspect you're probably still not. But in a film filled with William H. Macy, John C. Wright, all of these guys, Jason Robards, yeah. Philip Seymour yeah. Hoffman. I think Tom Cruise comes out of it like doing the most incredible work. Uh, yes, no, I, d- I do agree with you. I think he belongs in this movie with these actors. I think if you're looking at their careers total, no. No, no, fair enough. No, but, he doesn't. But in this movie, he's not out of place. I, he, but I think he... He does he, a great performance. Yeah. He's the MVP for me. I think he's... Uh, no. He's I, amazing. I can't, I can't. I have to say, it's either John C. Reilly or, or Phil Seymour Hoffman for me. They're MVPs for this. I can't say it's him. I know you really love him in this, but I think he's just, it's its Tom Cruise at his absolute best. He's doing really, really well. Oh, definitely. But I, I think I've, you see where you identify with different characters. I never identified with any of the ones that you've said. For me, it's its actually John C. Riley, And funny enough, Melora, Melora Walters. Yeah. This time round, it was her for me. I just, I don't know why. Oh, she, they're all amazing. Look, yeah. that's the, but, and but, you're, but you're right. It, you picked on something. It's like the time, each, the time of your life that you watch this, you'll identify with a different character depending on what's going on in your life. Apparently, all of the dialogue after I'm not going to fucking cry for you, you asshole, or whatever he says is, is Tom Cruise. He made it up. Uh, yeah, he that didn't make sense. He, he didn't like the lines. And he was dealing, I think, with the death of his own father. Right, okay. Um, so this obviously is a very powerful moment. But well, that's, yeah. when he does finally give into it and he keeps repeating, don't go away, you fucking asshole. Mm. And he's, you know, sobbing, shaking mm. at this point. That, for me, is the most powerful, raw, brilliant moment in his entire career to date. It's yeah, it's. I, I, yeah, I'm yeah, going to spoil the ranking already, but this is. Oh really? Okay. He's he's never. Okay. I don't think he's ever been this good, and I don't know if he ever will be again. It's such a complex and incredibly moving performance. You could say the same thing about uh, the Grey for Liam Neeson as well. I, I 
Yeah. I could have taken word for word what you said and said that about Liam Neeson. And when you mentioned, I didn't know that Tom Cruise was dealing with the death of his father at this time. Liam Neeson in The Grey is dealing with, was dealing with the death, death of his, of his wife, yeah. wife or had been dealing with it. And, and it's clear that he drew, he drew on it. And so Tom Cruise saying, I don't like these lines because they don't fit with his real lived experience of grieving to then bring in his lived experience of grief on, onto screen like that. You can't beat that. Yeah. And so when are you going to repeat it? I don't know that you are. True, yeah, fair and, enough. and there's a catharsis and a therapy there that is happening on screen that we're witnessing that's being used for a good performance, but the, the reality of that can't be replicated. Both Cruz and Paul Thomas Anderson have spoken about this. It was that obviously the, the shoot for Eyes Wide Shut was very arduous, right. and, he, and he had to play a very contained character. Yeah. So when Anderson gave him this opportunity to, to let loose uh, yeah, yeah. in so many different ways, you know, just mm. being able to hold court doing the seduce and destroy stuff must have been really yeah. freeing for him. Yeah. And I think catharsis is the right word. He's yeah. clearly expelling all different kinds of energy in this. Jesus. Do you know what? Like even you could even say he was he, he was you, you made a joke about it in the Cruiserverse that saying he he becomes Frank because uh, he's hating on women, but maybe he is. Maybe Tom Cruise is when he took this role on because we we said last time that Oswald Shut was a really difficult shoot and it put a strain on their relationship. Yeah. I don't know when they split up. It was a, about a year after this, right? But the, the thing about it is, you know, in the run up to this and all the films we've watched, we've said when Cruise does hardly anything, he's mesmerizing. So when he's doing all of this other stuff, but yeah. but crucially, not going past that tipping yeah. point, not becoming the woo guy, right? It's fucking phenomenal. It's it really does transcend movie stardom. I I, I just don't. I can't. No, it does though. It, it's 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 a genuinely flawless performance. I think there's not a beat. I mean, you said there is a moment. What do you think it is? Oh, there's one moment, but it's not inappropriate. So we've talked about more energy than is necessary. Yeah. I think it's necessary for the character. And if you're going to get a guy to do that, it's Tom Cruise. He's perfectly cast in this. You know, it's a, yeah. Again, like you said, you could have other actors do it. I'm not so sure, actually. Not in this way, though. That's no, the thing. I, I wouldn't want anybody else. And this is again, I, I've said it time and time and again. Actually, there are roles that he just owns that are completely his, and I wouldn't want to swap him out for anybody. And that's completely counter to something that we said early on, which is that you can swap Tom Cruise for anybody and you wouldn't notice. And the more movies I'm watching of him, the less and less sure I am of that thesis. The moment is as he's um, undressing after, yeah, as he's after going the into performance. The yeah, yeah. He's just changing his clothes, I guess, or whatever, in between acts of his performance. Um, and he's undressing in front of the journalist and he, he, he does this kind of like a, roll on the floor backflip and stands up again and he's still got his trousers around his ankles while he's doing it and i and he does it very gracefully actually it's quite amazing it's an it's again another acrobatic performance from him so we don't have necessarily jumping off things in this but we do have jumping around with his trousers around his ankles flips and flip out it's it's a flip he gets yeah Yeah. that's it's a definitely flip out yeah too much energy i'm putting a question mark against because that is the Frank Mackey character. So I don't think it's yeah. too much energy, right? So. But but you've just but mentioned you get, it. You shirtlessness. Get Definitely gratuitous shirtlessness. Um, sure. Women ogling him, uh, even if it's in his own advert. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> it is in his own advert. 
his glare that's becoming ever more prominent. Holy shit, the glare. I yeah. mean, so many different iterations of it. Yeah. No woo, though, really. I don't think. No, I never heard a woo. Although he alludes to having got a lot, he doesn't get some. He doesn't get any. I mean, for all we know, he could be a virgin in this. Well, I would. that was what I was thinking is... Like I wonder if sex. he's actually impotent or something. That yeah. would explain a lot about his character. Now, maybe it's just because my genitals are so small and I I don't know how to compare. It. But when well, he's wearing... hang on. Well, well, be fair to yourself. You do have a tiny penis, but you make up for it with massive balls. Thanks, man. Thanks. Well, that's that's my point. Is that it looked like he had he he, he was wearing tighty whities. Yeah. Oh, he's packing it all. And in it there, looks yeah. like that's all fake, like fake junk. Paul Thomas Anderson was asked this very question when the film came out. Yeah. Because obviously his previous film, Boogie Nights, involved a massive prosthetic penis. Yeah. And so someone made the joke, like, did you give it to Tom Cruise to stuff down his pants? Yeah. And he said, no, that's all Tom. Jesus, he's got, there's a lot of junk in there. Yeah, lucky boy. Yeah. There's stuff going on. I mean, that is not an embarrassing package. That's a nice. It's a... Yeah, it's fairly large. Nasty. dick. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Good, good for him. Um, one last classic, though, being rich. Uh, is he rich in he's, this? He's doing well. Come on, look at his entourage. Yeah, he's doing well. Uh, yeah, it's a whole, it's a whole thing. You're right. It's a pretty big. Um, what's the word? Uh, entourage. <laughs> entourage. What's the word you just said? A uh, big show, big performance. But he doesn't have as much money as his dad. That's the other thing. Is he was clearly born into wealth. His dad's a successful producer. And yeah, but that. rejected but it. Walked away from in it, favor yeah. of a rags to riches story. Made his own way. Yeah. yeah. So. Are we ready for lines? Because there's a there is a lot of dialogue that he spouts, and while a lot of it is bumper car philosophy, I still think he taps into a lot of things that a lot of the things that Frank T.J. Mackey is saying feel like things that Tom Cruise could say of himself, and that's why oh, that that, was that level head, of yeah. pastiche, yeah. The, uh, you know, playing on the the Tom Cruise persona is fascinating. It's interesting though, because I don't know how much of his persona was, you know, in the public image. I don't know. We're going to have to make a clear point when, when does Scientology come into his life and start? It's, when it's, does... it's already a part of it right point. now. Yes. Right. So it, it's starting to make a bit more sense. And I'd say that rather than any other troubles, I'd say that I, that that's the thing that would really disrupt a relationship. Right. If, and indeed it did. Yeah, that I mean if anything forget about, you know, trying to come up with any theory about why it's if Nicole Kidman's not into that and Tom Cruise is really into it, that's not going to you can't sustain a relationship. Yeah, I mean look, that. you're relying on gossip rags for this sort of stuff, but yeah. I think the the general scuttlebutt out there is that Nicole Kidman was not comfortable with the level of involvement Scientology was having in their lives. Right. And Tom yeah. Cruise was very comfortable with it. Uh, obviously, yeah. But it's interesting that you you pick on that point because it's well it's the reason why i mean jokes aside it's the reason why we're doing the cruiserverse as a segment on this show we're starting to see how there's maybe a level of confusion and overlap in the beliefs that he has about scientology and his beliefs of his ability on camera to play these different roles mm -hmm. and it fits too well for us not also to make fun of that right so perfect so yeah. and and so frank Mackey is is selling that okay yeah and what he says in his interview to guinevere is what we have here is a true rags to riches story and then i'm skipping a little bit seduce is about finding what you can be in this world defining it controlling it and saying 
I will take what is mine. Yeah. And if you happen to get a blowjob out of that, what the fuck, why not? Yeah. Little callback to his philosophy from Risky Business, though. Sometimes you yes. just got to say, what the fuck? Yeah. There's also a callback to um, Jerry Maguire when the police, are, uh, they're trying to find this this criminal. I think it's... Uh, I'm going to tell you about the worm. Yeah, the worm. And they say many times, help me help you. Help help us help oh, your grandson. Yeah, oh, help right, us okay. help. And they say it like three or four times and it's it's quite funny. It, it does sound like they're mocking that as a as a technique for, you know. Yeah, yeah. The, on that point about, you know, Tom Cruise starting, you know, saying things that we think are also part of his personal philosophy. Mm-hmm. Uh, we saw Arnie doing it as well in in his movies, sure. is, but early in his career as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I, we I think that that's also a thing of, you know, stardom is that it starts happening. It's like you you are you not only are you a rising star, you've risen and you've gone into the stratosphere and now you're so far away from everybody that it's all your own world anyway. You make up whatever you want. Also, the bigger star you are, the more influence you have. Yeah. But also the thing that we can say about Schwarzenegger and Cruz is it's not very often that you stop seeing the movie star. Yeah. So the, there's, it's not the same as a Viggo Mortensen or a Philip Seymour Hoffman who will just submerge themselves in a character and become the yeah. character. It's an aligning of me and the character. And yeah. what you get is the Venn diagram in the middle. Yeah, you're right. And what we've discussed before that he's starting to say things, but that's kind of like on a serious note about Tom Cruise and his career. But on an interestingly, we've said how actors only tend to send themselves up, which he kind of is doing here. I think so, yeah. But only when their careers are down. And we we know that Tom Cruise has to do this later with Tropic Thunder and, and and uh, Goldfinger, he has to play those Goldfinger, Gold, Gold member. Yeah. He has to play those roles, and because he has to climb back up again because he's been discredited to some degree. But I, I think I advanced a theory earlier on to say I think it does feel like that Tom Cruise has has it in him to send himself up, n- no matter uh, what. Definitely, like, uh, but I think what he's doing more than sending himself up is playing with image. And right, so that's more about control and manipulation. We talked about it with Interview with a Vampire, saying the, the, the commonality between a movie star and a vampire is something that he seized on. He's definitely doing it here. You know, there's elements of the Tom Cruise movie star persona in Frank T.J. Mackey. I think yeah. where it becomes really interesting is in things like Vanilla Sky, which is much yeah. more about his actual physical image yeah, and yeah, how yeah. important his face is, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but we'll talk about that in a few weeks' we time. Will. There, he's clearly willing to say, yes, I know what you think I am, uh, and I'm willing to play on that. But I think he's doing it in a more interesting way than, than just saying, I'll be back in a comedy, right? Mm. Much, more, much more interesting. And, I, and that's the point I'm trying to make, yeah. is that it's not sending himself up because he needs to, because it's a career move. I, 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 what I'm trying to say is, I just think he's willing. I, I think as much as we're making the point to say he's starting to take himself more and more seriously... It's weird that we're saying that in a movie where I'm also noticing that he can send himself up. But and, I think he's a smart enough yeah. guy to realize, like, if yeah. I fight against this, it's yeah. not going to go away. Yeah, the, his, the image people have of him, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. And, and I've been given a gift here. This is a tool that I've been yeah. given that a lot of actors don't have. Yeah. I can use this. And right. that's what he's doing going forward. Yeah. And I think it's brilliant. We already established that he was a megastar a few films ago. At this stage of his career, he's still a super megastar. I mean, other actors are just as glad to be working with him as he is with them, right? 
Yeah. It's not the same. Like we were, we were saying like, God, how excited must he have been to have been working with, you know, yeah, Martin Paul Scorsese. Or, yeah, yeah, and, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm sure he's excited to work with these actors and especially Paul Thomas Anderson as well. But he's just worked with Stanley Kubrick. Mm. I think everyone's just as happy to work with him as, as he is with them. Let me give you some numbers quickly. It's your numbers. What? Is it because, that time already? Because, I mean, we had some pretty astonishing numbers on Eyes Wide Shut in terms of the length of the shoot. Right. I think total time he would have spent on this film is definitely less than 20 days. Yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he was, before this film was finished, he was talking about doing Mission Impossible 2. He was already on it. Yeah, he was, he was away. It, God, right. That's why he's got the long hair. Cause he's off. That's what I, that's why yeah. I made, I was making jokes about it earlier, but I was certain of it, like, without oh, yeah. knowing. Yeah. This was in and out, right? Right, yeah. And it was literally to cleanse after everything, that good and bad, that came with Eyes Wide Shut. I need to do something. I need to do as many films as possible now because I've just yeah, lost yeah. the opportunity to do two or three. Yeah. But he's still got a $20 million paycheck on, um, <laughs> yeah. on Eyes Wide Shut. Oh, no. Oh, no. The total budget for Magnolia... Sorry, what am I thinking? The total budget for Magnolia... <laughs> oh, now was, I understand. Yeah, ...was $37 million, which is very small compared to even something like The Firm that he's done. Yeah. His salary on it... Is, what, sorry, what? His salary <laughs> on it... Yeah. $100,000. What? He may as well have asked for nothing. Yeah, that's, a to- that's token. That's yeah. just like... Thanks for coming. Now you can read whatever you want into that, but that to me but that says, says it. That's the answer to what I was just saying. He wants to do this movie. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I'm going to do this because it's going but, to be good. But for do me. we know the everybody else's salaries? Well, no one else in this film is anywhere near as big a star as Tom Cruise. So for a John C. Riley, 100k is probably what he was getting around that time. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So I think... But what about know, Julianne Moore? What about yeah, I Huffman? don't know. I, but, you see, Julianne Moore was not that famous at this time. No, no, no. I she know. was respected. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's tough to call who the biggest star, apart from Tom Cruise, would have been. Because they're all character actors. They were indie... They were in little indie yeah, movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, worldwide gross, 48.4 million. So the lowest performing film in about 12, 15 years for Tom Cruise. But it's not that kind of movie. And in fact, the studio was very keen to put Tom Cruise front and center in the advertising materials. And because Paul Thomas Anderson had control over every aspect of this film, he said, no, he cut his own trailer. He even designed the poster and he kept Tom Cruise where he belonged. Equal billing with everybody else in the film. Great. Two last notable appearances, though. We've mentioned him a couple of times. William Mapother, Tom Cruise's cousin. Yeah, he's in this. He works in the studio. I I didn't notice him, though. I, I know he. I knew he was in it, but I didn't see him. Did you see him? Nah, no. But did you spot Robert Downey Senior? No. Yeah, he. They both were in the uh, TV studio stuff. He was like wow. the floor manager of the floor. No, director. I'm just so chuffed. I spotted Agent Coulson. That's really important <laughs> information, by the way, yeah. for the cruiser bus. Oh, okay, fair enough. Well, let's go back to lines. So, what was your it's favorite your line? Numbers. Before um, the. Well, my actual favourite line... It's your number's ending. Yeah. You've got to have it be that. Just have it be that. It was brilliant. My actual... You're taking the piss out of your own jingle. <laughs> you said that. It was brilliant. My actual favourite line in the film, I think is probably most people's least favourite line in the film. Go on. Is when Guinevere says to him, what are you doing? When he's just staring her down and he says, what am I doing? I'm quietly judging you. Yeah, I like that. I, I like it because there are so many people I like to quietly judge. I want to tell, but you're not doing it quietly when you tell them. But that's kind of, 
anyway. Yeah, they, but the there, whole... there's something about that which is it's it's actually quite an enigmatic line, and it's one that I've definitely have had times over the years that I've wanted to deploy. Yeah, that you, you can't, you can't. But no, you can't. My favourite line is the kid. Uh, I identify with that, but I also identified with the kid on the game show. Uh-huh. Not necessarily that I'm super smart. The fat kid. Just yeah, the fact the fat kid. <laughs> No, Luis Guzman. <laughs> yeah. By the way, Luis so Guzman's weird. character is Luis Guzman. So weird. <laughs> I love it. That's just the. I think that's one of the coolest things. It's they didn't credit him as Luis Guzman as himself. They just yeah. Luis he's... Guzman played the character of Luis Guzman. <laughs> but I love why... how much he's trying to get in that kid's face. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Having a fight with a ten-year-old. <laughs> I think Luis Guzman is definitely second MVP. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Because it's like but how many other actors can just claim like now nah, Luis, you're just you, right, in this. You're not anyone else. Imagine just be you. Just if be instead you. of being John Malkovich, we'd had being Luis Guzman. <laughs> <laughs> what a film that would be. be the that's best. that's the sequel I want to see. <laughs> Did, hold different characters, but it's it's just same concept. Yeah. But just how would it play out if instead of Malkovich it was Guzman? Pretty it's obscure. not a remake. It's not a reboot. It's just the same phenomenon happening again. Yeah, let's do it, man. Being Luis Guzman, he's clearly up for it. Yeah, sure. And let's say you could start it at the end of the game show in this movie. That's where <laughs> the movie. That's where his movie begins. Okay. Anyway, Stanley has a line apparently. Yeah. So it's um, he's pissed himself. And he doesn't want to stand up and do the one-on-one, um, you know, quick fire round or whatever it is at the end of the game show. And it's a tense moment. Everybody's watching him. I think the game show host has already had his passed out. And yeah, it's so, where they come back from that. Yeah, yeah, so everybody's kind of on edge anyway. But he's kind of still trying to do this banter with the audience and he's still playing Mr. Yeah. Game Show Host. Yeah. And I think it's the interaction between them that I like more than I like the actual line. But it's because he's he's still playing that facade. Yeah, and Stanley breaks through it, doesn't he? Stanley breaks through it and says something that just it gets to gets to the truth, and he just he has a moment where he realizes that there are things that are more important than the things that everybody else tells me are important. Yeah, and he's being that, exploited, th- right? And but he's smart enough to recognize it. The game show host says while he's making decision, he's like, "Oh, the indecision of a child, ladies and germs," mm. and the audience kind of cackles a little bit, and he says, "This isn't funny." This isn't cute. See, when they, then when we were looked at, because I'm not a toy, I'm not a doll, we we're looked at because you think we're cute. Because what? I'm I'm made to feel like a freak if I answer questions or if I'm smart or if I have to go to the bathroom. What is it, Jimmy? What is that? I'm asking you. I'm not. I'm not sure, Stanley. Yeah. You know, and it's just the way he says, "What is that, Jimmy?" I love it. It's like, God, what that. You might as well say, you know, what is that about? You know, at, that? at the risk of spiraling off into the rest of the film, I think it's 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 again brilliant how much that says to Jimmy about what did I do to my daughter? That's why. That's why I'm saying it's such a great line, yeah. and that's why this movie it's 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 littered throughout. Okay, it is. lots of people influence each other in these ways without the movie saying it very explicitly. But this is one moment that particularly touched me identify with that character because he's a young kid that just likes to say what's real and what's true he fi- he finds that out about himself that he can 
he can see through everybody's bullshit. An adult, the only adult in the whole studio that's actually giving him something real, because he's having the same epiphany as well. He's saying, shit, I better, what is that about? What's it, what is any of this about anyway? I better be real instead. He goes back home, the kid, and says to his dad, you have to be nicer to me. I, I, I don't, you don't get the feeling really from Michael Bowen that he's listening at all. I don't think well, no, things turned out great sleep, for Stanley. But you do get the feeling that Stanley isn't going to give up. He's going to fight now, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but um, but he's that's still what's in a bad so situation. interesting about me saying, or the film saying, and me repeating it, that the line is that it's not going to stop till you wise up. That's what the song's saying. That they all, they're all repeating, all these nine characters, that moment. And it's not that some people interpret it different ways. Some people say, no, they are actually all singing that song at the same time. I disagree. I think they're all having that epiphany at the same time. I don't think the film's trying to say, oh, look at this coincidence that they're all singing the song well, we haven't, at the same time. We haven't even mentioned the Wise Up sequence. I mean, what a ballsy sequence to put in a, in a film uh, yeah. to just turn it into a musical for two minutes. Yeah. But the brilliance is uh, taking... Excuse me, a musical for two minutes. This whole film is a music video. Well, the songs play out at length and it's ballsy to let them play out at length. But the, to the, then have all your characters yeah. singing the song. Yeah, yeah, that's the ballsy bit. Yeah. Um, and and also each line is so on the nose talking about what that character is doing. You're sure mm. there's a cure and you've finally found it and all of mm. that stuff. And it ends that sequence with a cut to a street just before the the storm is going to start. Yeah. And there's a sign that just says Exodus 8-2. There's oh, a really? Lot of, Did you look a, it up? There's a okay. lot of references to Exodus 8-2. What is Exodus 8-2? Is it when it rains frogs, is it? the? If you refuse to let them go, I will send a plague of frogs on your whole country. Right, that's what it is. So the significance of Stanley's role in it all is, yeah, he is basically the Moses character. He's the one who gets it. And he's the one who's not freaked out by the storm. Like you said, this happens. These things happen. And we haven't really talked about Bill Macy's character. But yes, he's clearly what Stanley will turn into if Stanley doesn't wise up yeah but that's the interesting thing about the song why does the song say it's not going to stop so just give up i've got my theory well, what's yours because we stanley character isn't giving up uh, no 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 but everyone else is is fighting and he's not he's learning right. to fight there you go so that's what it's saying give up that is my yeah, yeah. theory you're right so, yeah the, the give up it isn't don't stop trying altogether but stop fighting this did magnolia give up but one of one of i mean bill macy's performance again is is very beautiful i think uh, a very damaged person who's very desperate yeah and when he stands up to that guy henry gibson in the henry gibson no that's not right yeah henry gibson's the oh, right, um, actor's name in the bar one of like the last thing he says when he walks out is he calls back a line to him and he says and no it is not a mistake to confuse children for angels and that's my other favorite line it's it, 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 a lot of it is the delivery, but but the reason... my favorite line isn't his line. My favorite line is, "It's a mis it's dangerous to confuse children for angels." But that I is think my, the, that's my favorite. The significance of that line in the context of the film as a whole is, yeah, everyone's trauma springs from something that happened to them when they were young. I think, or something they did to someone that was young. I'm so glad we got there because I was wondering when you were saying let's contain the discussion a little bit whether we'd actually get there in our discussion. Yeah, yeah. But it's a very important point about that. I was going to ask about the religious elements of this. I don't think they're that important to talk about, but I think other people will take it as absolutely not. Some people will look at this film and say it's massively religious, especially with the Exodus references. Mm -hmm. 
the John C. Riley character yeah. is the only one that seems to come out of everything okay. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a lot of evidence to suggest that actually... But there's... not because of Christianity. Yeah. That's the thing. He is a yeah, religious but person, but that's not been yeah. serving him. Talking to himself, talking through things rather that's than talking working. to God. That's no, not at working. the end, it yeah. is. It is, though. What can we forgive? That's what he's saying. What can no, we forgive? I, I, well, I agree with that a little bit because he's been he's been very judgy throughout. Yeah. And so his forgiving nature is the thing that's, I guess, his salvation. But the other thing that's his salvation is... Well, for want of a better term, but I'm just using it in the religious context, is the prostitute, the whore. She's not really, but she's whore-ish, the, his girlfriend, Claudia, yeah. She, she's not like that, but there's a kind of a salvation in that, is that saying, actually, if he knew everything about her before he met her, if you, on paper, he would never have talked no, to no. her. Uh, yeah, yeah, totally. Because of his values. But, so, but because of his, I, I don't know, his feelings... For, for goodness, he, he eventually realises that that's better work than police work. He's very sincere, though, and, and I think it's not necessarily... I don't think he's bought into a lie. I think his reasons for being a cop are not to carry a gun and and, no, no. and abuse power. It's, no, no. I want to try and do something good in the world. Yeah. And he finds it with Claudia, where he can't find it as a cop because right. he's just not tough enough to be a good cop in that bad yeah. world. So, you're, But you're right when you say it's not necessarily the Christian thing. The Christian thing is, again, it's a vehicle for him to be, to, for the goodness. The goodness is the essential thing. And it's not talking to himself or talking to God that fixes things. It's talking to her. It's opening up yeah. like that and engaging yeah. with the world in a different way. That's the thing. But for everybody, that's, again, the common thing that happens with everybody. They're all say the things that they need to say to the people that they need to say it to. They all start doing that. So for Jimmy Gator. Jimmy Gator says the things he needs to say. He doesn't he doesn't say it to his wife. Oh right. But his wife says you can't you say No, but you won't say. Yeah. But she gets to say things. Yeah. Right? I'm and not again, done asking my question. But, but life goes on and life keeps going on and that's the whole point is that and it's not all nicely wrapped no, I, up and i like that about yeah. the film no that is what's good about the movie i i think some people get fed up with um you know the happy endings that we see all the time and that the, everything's nicely wrapped up so i i still really like it when everything's wrapped up i like it when a movie just finishes and i think some people get bored with that because they want something different and quite rightly so and i think some people th- will say that it's a good ending when it just when it doesn't do that and I couldn't disagree more. I think it's not a good ending yeah, yeah, yeah. just because it doesn't do the normal ending. Oh, I really like it because it just, you know, it just ends. And it's like, no, you just like it because it's different, not not because it's an ending done well. I don't know how else you could end this movie. And I, the ending of this movie, I like, you know, I think oh, it's, it's fantastic. The last shot. Yeah. Perfect. It is perfect. Yeah. Because you have to have, after all of that, you have to have some semblance that someone in this world is going to be okay. Yeah, yeah someone is, but you know everyone's and, not. And the yeah. most damaged person in yeah. this film is going to be okay because she's with the most sincere person. Yeah, right. Then that's beautiful. It is. That's really, really beautiful, yeah. And the other thing is that I want to give a shout out to the way that this film's shot. I think we said it before, but it's just, it's really, really nice. It's really beautifully shot. And there's clearly scenes in this that were just like, no, you know what? We're not using the second shot. We're just going to leave it on that shot and the whole scene's that shot. In particular, when there was the, uh, the she was making coffee for him. Yeah. And we stay in the kitchen. In, you just stay in the kitchen the whole time. Yeah. 
it has an effect on you yeah. that works for that scene. And the second time that was done was when um, Frank first comes around to Earl's house. So Tom Cruise comes around to... What's Earl? Earl, that actor. I keep Jason Robards. Yeah, he's great. He's great. Forget about it. But Philip Seymour Hoffman opens the door and answers the door. And the whole sequence, it's almost two minutes of negotiating. Can I come in if those dogs were... Normally, in every other movie, you would cut to a close-up of them on the door. You'd see Tom Why Cruise's aren't face. I you... seeing Tom Cruise? There's a very good reason why you're not seeing Tom Cruise. There's a very good reason to just leave the shot here at, in the corridor. You know, we're seeing the dogs. Yeah. It creates a feeling in the scene. And there's something about that, that authorship we've talked about, about being the writer, director, about having so much control of the film. That is something that doesn't, like you said, doesn't really happen anymore. There's something about not being let in. Yeah. Tom Cruise's character is not being let in yet. Philip Seymour Hoffman. Well, he's resistant as well. Yeah, he's resistant. And there's something about, so let's keep the camera inside. And we're, we place the camera in the central point of the scene and we let the scene happen. And that's, that's really excellent filmmaking. Yeah. And to explain all that to somebody who's putting pressure on you to say, well, where are the other shots? I want to see the other shots, you know, and audiences won't like it. Well, they, they, they're going to lose, lose attention. For, they'll be in the corridor for two minutes. Who wants to look at dogs? <laughs> There's a point that I'm trying to tell with the story. It's not this scene in isolation. You, you have to have got some credit to get yourself to the point where you can cut a film that way, right? Yeah, or even for a producer to say, you can do whatever you want and have final cut. That's what I mean. That's yeah. what I mean. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's, it's almost What like... do you have to do to get that carte blanche? Do you know what I mean? Or... Well, I think what you have to do is be one of the absolute finest American filmmakers working. Because I genuinely believe Paul Thomas Anderson is working on a different level to most filmmakers. Yeah. And he earned that credit very yeah. early in his career. And it's allowed him to make astonishing films yeah and i think this is not just arguably i'm not saying this is a definitive statement but arguably the best film in tom cruise's career i do feel it's his best performance wow but it's not even paul thomas anderson's best film that's the thing it's interesting that you say that because i think it's time that we do some ranking Okay. Yeah, I, I do think Paul Thomas Anderson is the American filmmaker of our generation that has the most innate sense of of what it is to be human. Yeah. And I think Not to be confused some with Wes, films Wes Anderson. No, although he's good too. I think some some films can feel like a religious experience on a sensory level, but Magnolia is on a genuinely spiritual level, and that's got nothing to do with the religious undertones of the film. No. So yeah, ranking wise, it's number one. Oh, that was easy for you. This is the first big difference we've had in our rankings. Um, I'm putting this film, although I think it's a fantastic movie, it's not one of my most favourite Tom Cruise films, but it's still one of his best performances. So it's it's actually going above Joe McGuire and below Eyes Wide Shut, which puts it at five for me. Okay. It's I don't I don't I don't think it's my favourite Tom Cruise film, but I do no. think it's an amazing film and it's his best performance by a country yeah man. yeah so i'm at, you know this is your ranking man you put yeah, it yeah, in at number totally. one but i'm i can't put it higher than than the four i've got i can't put it higher than rain man mission possible color of money and eyes wide shut i can't tom cruise's third oscar nomination yeah best still hasn't actor. Got it. Still hasn't he didn't got get it, it. Uh, it was a pretty phenomenal year for, for Best Supporting Actor you had uh, Haley Joel Osment in The Sixth Sense was in yeah, there yeah there's no beating that kid 
He didn't win it. No, I know, but... Do you know who won it? No, I don't remember. Michael Caine in The Cider House Rules. Oh, God. Well, Michael Caine was Michael Caine was due an Oscar, and this is the I know it was the career award, right? Oscars is that you know that they don't always people don't always get it for the film that they deserve it for; they get it later, which is kind of ridiculous. They should just stop doing that and start giving Oscars to people rather than being like, "Oh, I'm sorry you didn't get it for that," but we'll give you one eventually. What that means is, in about twenty years' time, Tom Cruise can turn up in some sappy. Novel right. adaptation, and he'll get the award that he should have got for Magnolia. Anyway, the book says we may be through with the past, but the past is not through with us. So your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to come on another mission impossible to... To... That's br- that was brilliant, man. That's poetry. Thanks. Yeah. Woo! Don't forget, you can jack reachers at The Arnithology on Twitter... The Arnithology on Facebook and the Arnithology at gmail.com. <laughs> <laughs>